Are you in position? Uh, no. Okay, now I'm in position. <clears throat> Let's count in. One. Two. two. What? <laughs> Three, two. Okay. Hello, Hi. everybody, and welcome to, to the, 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 the first Shut Up and Sit Down podcast of 2014. We can't, can't remember what number it is, can you? Number I, 13. It might be 13. Lucky for some. It's fine. So There's nothing wrong with 13. This is a podcast all about board games, card games, and all, all the, the other games. They know that. Everyone knows that. Do they, though? Who's, do you think, like, an archaeologist has dug up the podcast in the future and doesn't know what it's about? But what if... No, I suppose... <laughs> they that. found it, like, under a car park or something. <laughs> Could happen. At one MP3, like in a video game, just a dictaphone recording of us. And they walk around doing missions, listening to us talking. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, let's definitely kick off the new year. Thank you all for waiting in our little hibernation period. Yeah. We've been playing a lot of games over the last few weeks because it's what people do around the holiday season. It could happen. It's what I do. To be fair, I play board games all the time anyway. So It's like, it's a problem. It is. I hate board games. You, you hate Power Grid now. Uh, well, should we, yeah, should we go over what we've played over the let's last start week with, or two? Let's start with Power Grid and get your yeah. negativity out of the way. Because we were just recording the commentaries that go in our Gold Club bag and we watched our Power Grid review and I seem to recall us both saying it was good. It... It's quite good, but I I I've fallen out of love with it. It's like I fell out of love with the resistance. Yeah, and it's that kind of thing where uh, we played it a couple of times. And what country were you powering? Germany. Germany. And quite a bit of Germany because there were like five or six of us. Mm. So that was that's a lot of Germany, and it was fine. It's just it feels like, uh, and we said this in the review originally. Whoever's doing well, whoever's in the lead, tends to stay wait, in the lead. Wait, I'm going to stop you. Go Explain on. Power Grid for the people at home. Power Grid is a game about uh, powering a country, and depending on what side of the board or what expansion you use, um, you get a different country. But basically, you buy power stations through auctions. They provide a certain amount of power to a certain amount of cities. And you need to buy the stuff that powers you the need to power buy the stuff stations, that powers them, which could be which coal, is meta. oil, or rubbish, or uranium. Um, and what you need to do is plot more and more power stations down to power more and more parts of the country which will make you more money and then you which get a big handful of paper money paper money which is okay I'm not a big fan of it but then that allows you to buy more resources and more power stations and immediately surely you can see the problem which is if you're doing well <laughs> you continue to do well I don't think it has like enough disruption mechanics or enough mechanics to allow people to catch up yeah. I was second place most of the time in one of the games and I came second the guy who was winning <laughs> was winning all the time and won <laughs> and the pl- kind of the order of things even though the turn order can change based on things you do and that affects when you bid and oh yeah because it has a mechanic for. the only balancing mechanic in it is that if you are last you go first in the auctions yes so which you doesn't always cut. help if you don't have any money no but don't, every phase you go you get the most disadvantageous thing like when you're placing power stations you place them last and when you're auctioning you go first yeah there's there's an element of things being swung round uh, but it's not enough is it no I, it doesn't feel like enough the person who's doing best it. on turn 2 will be doing best on turn 15 well the, what you have to do or we, we thought you had to do as we were playing was you need a more of a concerted effort from everyone else around the board to gang up against the leading player to try and outbid them or to build around them to hem them in because uh, yeah players need to work together kind but of like the way really... you do when, when whenever I played Risk which I used to do a lot it was always the case of we'd sit there and we'd go well this person is going to run away with it yeah so. but nobody but Risk is good evidence of why that doesn't work nobody plays Risk and actually successfully pulls down the player who's in the lead you get into weird little scuffles with your neighbours you do a bit like real politics like the real world you do a bit um, but it, I don't know it reminded, reminded me of those situations where sort of if, if you have momentum it, it's quite 
easy to keep running with that. Well, I still... Mm, it, it's a difficult game, and I suppose we don't... It get, is. You know what? I think that's not so much a bad side of Power Grid as a good thing of the rest of the hobby. Because the truth is, all these wonderful board games and card games that we cover, so many of them either hide how many victory points you've got or have last-minute things where a clever player can come back, which isn't awful. And then there's all the games that we review where actually it doesn't really matter who wins. Like Cutthroat Caverns, which I reviewed a while back, whereby, weirdly, the player who does best is actually going to be murdered. It's the risk <laughs> thing you're talking about. That their corpse is never going to see daylight ever again yeah well uh power grid is i don't know it's quite transparent you have all the information in front of you pretty much most of the time apart from not knowing which cards are going to come out of a power station deck which is a nice deck but yeah it, it i don't know i've 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 Lost, and I think lost my love for it. The, the, the Sorry. listeners are going to have to put up with more and more of this of us just changing our mind. Because we were talking about how that doesn't happen with video games. Because video games are... Mm. When you do a video game review, you do a video game review for that year. So if you fall out of love with it, then it's probably because it's aged, even if, it, even if that's age, not true. Age affects video games quite... It depends on the game, but it's a significant factor. Whereas board games are these permanent things. And of course, then we're going to fall in and out of love with them. What's going to be more embarrassing than this, though, I conjecture... Uh-oh is when we have a game we don't like that actually turns out we, that grows on us after we've done a bad review. Which it's, might happen. It could happen. Has it hasn't happened yet. happened yet. We reviewed a Euro that was generally a bit more positive, though, didn't we? We're going to review do a big video review this week. We played New Amsterdam by yeah. Pandasaurus Games. Which a game of muskrats. Very, uh, very big and woody. And so much wood in that box. In, in that kind of Euro way, I'm trying to think what it reminded me of. It, it had that almost... Terramistic. Terramistic, yeah. yeah. The, the idea that you get a lot of woody components. Some of them are quite big as big well. Houses. Big houses. This is a game where you all play Dutch traders uh, in, you know, well, New in Amsterdam. New is Amsterdam, New the, York. Which is what New York was before it became New York. And you all sort of settle in and you develop towns. But mostly, you're trying to make money, as New York did in the early days, apparently, according to the game. This is me just learning my history from board games again. <laughs> which is a terrible idea. Um, but you trade with Native Americans and it has all this sinister stuff whereby you can develop farms and every time you develop a farm the Native Americans retreat further up the river because you've taken the area where they live <laughs> but yeah you're trading furs you're uh, gradually expanding your political influence in the city you're yeah. gradually expanding farms outside the city let's, and... let's definitely save too much details for the review but Ooh. in terms of power grid I think what's nice is that it's just it's a quicker game not many euros are quick and it's a lighter game yeah. and not many euros are light and that is really interesting to me let's let's see these big glossy not glossy opposite of glossy stodgy uh, three hour uh, european style experiences turn into an hour did you say power grid then on new amsterdam i meant to say new amsterdam but i mean it's fine it's fine uh yeah no it, it has ha- it has a limit and having a limit you play and you focus more I yeah think, your attention and like it's there. i was saying to paul it's not it's not that if the game was one turn shorter and it's only six turns, it would yeah. feel like it didn't outstay its welcome at all. But by the end of the sixth turn, you're kind of ready for it to end. But that's still better than most European yeah. style games where. No, it's, it's quite a good length. Yeah, it is. Um, and I bet you hear that a lot. <clears throat> Moving. Oh, that was awful. I do. Am I, I going to be though. like this in all of 2014? Do you remember before we started the podcast, I said I might be a bit glib? Yeah. And you've just been filthy. <laughs> uh, moving on. I think, actually, I'm going to do this in the order that it's down. I think I should be honest that mostly mm-hmm. the holiday season's been interesting for me because now we don't have to review anything right now. Yes. The games that I've been playing and wanting to play prove where my real love lies, which has been interesting. Like what? I pretty much, when we clocked off for the year, one of the fir- on the first or second day, I went to my local game shop and bought all the Descent expansions I could stagger under... <laughs> And uh, took them home and, and mixed all the item decks together and expanded my set and packaged it. Cross and now I am so ready 
for, to do uh, more to do more dissent. And Should we announce the idea that we, well, we put it on the on one of the commentaries? Yes, we might as well. I guess we 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 thought about doing a dissent. Let's play. Yeah, and, and maybe doing several so you can see how the campaign evolves and, and the then, soap opera. Yeah, evolves. of these characters and an overlord who has a plan and characters. Because one of the best things about dissent and being a campaign and generally playing the same board game story week after week is that your uh, you know tumble the thief who cannot be hit. <laughs> actually becomes like a character. Yeah. To begin with, you don't even know what personality is in these miniatures. And then as you play and play, you realise... acquire items and you become good at certain things and you have your role in this the This character always fails this dice roll. Like the mythology of D&D. Well, that, yeah, that too, that too. But that, that partly comes from like the, the things you end up doing in the party. Like You end up being the ranged dude. Or, yeah, or the dude who always or, opens the treasure chests. Yeah, or the lady who has the really big killer spell or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and then that spell becomes legendary among your group. And yeah. Descent has so much stuff that the story you're telling will be unique. So, yeah, the other, of course, thing I've been playing is Netrunner, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Don't want to talk about it on the podcast again, but there's going to be lots more Netrunner coverage this year. <laughs> I'm at the point now, I think it's safe to admit, that I'm looking at buying, essentially, uh, acrylic tokens to replace the tokens in the ba- oh, third-party no. acrylic tokens oh, that are transparent, no. so that when you put them on the cards, they don't block any of the art. $35 uh, to you, sir. Really? Plus shipping. And actually, technically, you need to. That's so. twenty pounds. Yeah, don't say that. You make me not buy them, and then that's a whole board. Don't game. deny that's me like my citadels. hobby. Okay, maybe I won't buy them. One of those silver line FF. Uh, so yeah, descent. I uh, haven't been playing Netrunner. Not going to talk about. So that was rubbish. We played Yido. We did play Yido. Yido. What a shame. Well, now uh, describe Yido. Yido is uh, is a game set in. Is it fair to say feudal Japan? Probably. Where each of you... I, who were we? We were like a house. <laughs> we were a kind a of royal shogunate. Not a shogunate. I just made that word up. A kind of a noble house yes. in Tokyo, which was called Edo. And we were um, doing a number of different... We were trying to we expand were, our house by building It wasn't extra. immediately apparent what we were. We, it's well, like, we, had, to, we had to carry out uh, like fulfilled plans. Yes. Basically. So it was, this is a worker placement game. Mostly, whereby you essentially have a bunch of slaves, not slaves, employees, employees, Uh, (laughs) slaves, and you put them on districts of the board. Yes, you send them out to go to the weapon shop to buy you a weapon Mm. or to buy you a geisha or to expand your house. Um, But this was all with a goal in mind, whereby like Ticket to Ride, you essentially, when the game begins, draw a mission. And then when you have everything required to complete that mission, you send off your man to rob the church yes. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> or the kill the priest. Or kill the priest. Quite or a lot of those. check out what the mundane missions you were getting, which are like... Black, Go to the market and see what's on sale. Black market, blackmail the merchant. And to do this, you'll need like oh, a shuriken should, and a, that, well, that was, not a piece of rope, which would be obvious, but like a shuriken and a pot of... There, there like is the number of them were sinister, and an interesting thing about the missions: some of the missions have like a couple of different tiers. They have a regular level and a bonus level, mm. and one of them was something like kidnap the barman's daughter. Yeah. And at the regular level, you just use a shuriken, but the bonus level, you actually use some rope. Which well. I don't know what story that card is telling, but this, the, the storytelling mm. didn't quite hinge together. No, the storytelling was. A lot of things didn't quite hang together. <laughs> I know that which this, we both felt. Yeah, this is a game that has some fans, but the truth is, and this is just a fact. In three years of playing Shut Up and Sit Down, I have finished every single game we've sat down to play. Yido, in one turn, made me so angry. I had to tell uh, the people we were playing with, no, that we'd I, had enough. I, I've had no more because none of us were really enjoying it, and then. When yes. a series of things came to get, I can I can spoil it. It's fine because we're not going to review. No, it. it's 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 okay. It's uh, I don't want to jump on what you're saying, but it was 
the randomness. Yes, it's um, yeah. there's a fundamentally frustrating thing whereby uh, you a lot of sending workers out, you will get a sort of like a, a random a lot of tasks you can do. You'll get a random weapon or a, or a random event card or a random mission. So much of the game is drawing from decks, which may or may not be useful to you. So mm. there's also a mechanic whereby you can send a worker to look at the top few cards of a deck. Sometimes this will let you change it, so you can do the double whammy of okay, I'm going to send a guy to look at the top cards of the weapon deck, so you know what's coming, and so then get the correct one. It. Except sometimes it's like the thing that drove me mad, entirely mad, was there's one one of the hardest missions you can take on in the whole deck is you can actually kill the shogun, the ruler of all Japan, which ends the game early and gives you a ton of victory points, which I thought was a pretty cool mechanic. Yeah. And when I got this card, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. Prepared, 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 and then. Uh, I was able, I sent a worker out to look at the event deck to make sure that nothing would ruin my plan when I executed it. And I looked at it, and essentially the event card was said, no, this, this city district is closed, you're not going to be able to do it next turn. But there was nothing I could do about I had the foreknowledge that I was screwed. Yes. But no way of doing anything a, to stop it. Uh, this is the thing, it's a game about, because you need to collect so many things to do a mission, and because you need to prepare, and because it's a game of worker placement, a game where you put someone on a board to take a space to do a thing, uh, it's a game that should be about planning and about thinking about things maybe a turn or two in advance and preparing, mm. collecting things, being organised and sensible. But it's also Which a is game what that these games has... Are usually, these, these games are usually focused around right. that. They say, come up with a plan, but your plan's going to be ruined slightly by other place, so you've got to adapt. That's the curricula. That's the granddaddy of these games. But in, in the case of Yido, what was happening was random events were occurring all the time that didn't even... They'd stop us from doing things or, you know, decks would pump out random... Like, I could never get the weapons I needed, ever. <laughs> because they came out the deck, in, you know, in a certain order, and I could never get them, and then I was just wasting time waiting for the right kind of stuff to cycle which isn't very exciting no a lot of games but encourage adaptation which is good to, there was nothing for me to adapt to right and creativity which is good but there's no means for you to apply your creativity so so much of it was going ah oh, well game screwed me this turn if the only people i've seen who enjoy yido are people who are so in love with the theme that they are like blindsided to the fact that it is not a good euro um uh, yeah, which makes it sad to say. Sorry, Pandasaurus Games, but you do have New Amsterdam, which we do think is quite good. And, and Great, Great Fire, Fire of London, London which, which you also sent us. I, at this point, the podcast is just for you. Hello, how's it going? I like, I like your logo. looks really interesting. Great Fire of London well. looks great, and we're going to have so much fun with a video review of that. Because, yeah. pro tip, if you set your game in London, we'll want to do a video review of it. So that <laughs> you'll get some amount of free publicity there. So, yeah, uh, don't buy Yido, everybody. Um, let's move on to a small game. Let's move on to this. Um, well, that was that was tiny. One that night. was tiny and quick. It was. This is this is the new release of One Night Werewolf, which we played uh, at a Christmas party several times yes. and had a good time with. It's fantastic. It is essentially. It's well. Well, we talked about this before. It's werewolf, but it lasts for one night. We've yes. discussed it on the podcast. So very quickly, it's just the game of werewolf is people sat in a circle trying to figure out and lynch the werewolf players who are working together one night werewolf essentially is one really good round of werewolf played over five minutes you get it wrong or right and then the game resets itself but the the, the key is all the roles are really interesting so i played it before and discussed it on previous podcasts what did you think of it uh, i liked it i thought it was very good uh, and i thought that was just the roles being so unusual so interesting the fact that you have you have one round to think about everything and the roles for that round are all just sort of disruptive or weird enough like roles that allow you to swap other people's roles without them realizing or things like the masons who usually you've got the werewolves open their eyes and they look at each other and they can advocate for each other and try and deflect blame mm. 
but Masons do that as well. And then when you have a group of players where two of them are friends and they know they're the good guys and they're trying to get you not to kill them. <laughs> you know, you Oh, and then the Tanner, of course, who, who wins wants if they... to be killed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which And it's, it's all just kind of marvellous stuff that leads to mistakes like going... Uh, you, you mm. have, you'll have seen this now. Like, um, no, I'm the seer and I know he's the troublemaker, which means he's telling the truth when he says he swapped my role with the werewolf. <laughs> oh, God, that means I'm a werewolf. You know what? Ignore me. Yeah. And But no, at that point, you've, too late. you've actually... In solving the puzzle, you've solved it out loud and told everyone you're the werewolf. And the puzzle, it's all very, because it, everything is one round, the puzzle is quite unique to that. It doesn't have that thing that we've been talking about that you particularly have been bothered by with the resistance, where you get several rounds of play and people gradually. Yes, the resistance is like nailing two, something down. Two rounds of. Of fact curiosity finding and then two and rounds curiosity. of massive arguments. And then a round of arguments. At the end of the arguments, the dust would have settled probably people have formed their allegiances and those allegiances will go on to determine the rest of the game. Yeah. One night, it's just, it crystallizes that genre down, which means it's less uh, dramatic. Like, so much of, when Matt Lees reviewed uh, Werewolf for us, he was talking about how, the, you know, the, 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 the atmosphere, candles and drama candles. and players being whittled down and One Night Werewolf correctly swaps that for an art style that's funny and says, let's have fun, which may not be what you're looking for. I liked it a lot. I thought it was very good, and I would happily play it again at, at a party or just with like half a dozen people. Yeah, it was good. Uh, we really played enjoyed it. Another small box game on the same day, which did, did not go as well. Oh, we played Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Do you think that was just the group? I mean, we like it. It's a good game. Once Upon a Time is good, but it dawned on me that actually, if you're playing with a group that's competitive too, and hasn't played before and, and too big and too maybe. drunk, maybe uh, suddenly it, we we realised that this game, which is a straightforward game whereby which we love. Whereby everyone gets given a hand of cards with fairy tale tropes like witch and castle and door, and then you tell a fairy tale story trying to get rid of those cards in your hand, um, and then, but other pla- if you mention like a fairy and another player's holding a fairy card, they go fairy and jump on they the story. Jump. Yeah, they totally and are. everyone's trying to get to a difficult ending, which I forgot. But then suddenly, <laughs> what's the? But so much of that game, and we never mentioned this in the review, is players policing the game. Yes, the the need to like, what do you do when a player goes? Okay, once upon a time there was a dragon, card, and he was angry, card, and he had a fight, card, with a dwarf, card, card yeah. and they all lived happily ever after. I've won. It's like, you have to call bullshit on yes. them, but you have to interrupt them. Yes. And you have to do it without being a jerk, which is yes. my problem. I managed to offend a person we were playing with because I just went... Did you? Well, yeah. No. When I said, that's bollocks, and, uh, and, and they said, well, you're not letting me tell my story, and I was like, no, you're cheating. But <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, there is an element of that which... It depends on your group, I guess. A lot of social games self-police quite well because the people who play them know each other and they're comfy mm-hmm. and they're okay. Whereas if you have a big group and the play... It, I guess it brought me back to Earth with a bump because I figure we're so confident in our reviews now and we say this is a great game. That when we play what we call a great game and it doesn't work so well, I'm suddenly... I'm human again. <laughs> well, I, I think it's partly a product of the time and the group and uh, uh, the context. I don't think we did a bad job we, we had a not bad time playing it we played it once or twice yeah or three times we played no we played it once okay i'm just inventing that but there was also like six or seven or i might play it with more like four or five just uh, a couple few a fewer couple a few less not so many fewer less number smaller people mm-hmm. yeah no agreed uh speaking of games that are even smaller than uh than what's upon time and there is well, there is no games what about digital games paul 
And I'm only saying this because <sighs> you happen to have played the iPad version. But you played Neuroshima, Neuroshima, Neuroshima Hex, Hex. Which now just recently had a new edition put out by Z-Man. Uh, very fancy, shiny. Game of hexagons and mutants. This is true. I now have an iPad device, which is sort of like uh, one of those things in Star Trek that they walk around with in engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you tap it a lot and then you give it to someone and then like a console explodes. <laughs> Which has been my iPad experience, but you can get. Did you know you can get games for it? And I did not. Did you know no, that? I didn't. Uh, yeah, no, I played some Nirishima Hex, and I don't know what I think of it yet. I know our Mike really likes it. Yes, the uh, uh, our, our sort of co-founder of the site relaunch, yes. Mike Abansky, programmer, gamer, uh, lover, is um, yeah, he uh, he loves it. But then, mm. like, yeah, he he very much likes games that he can sink his brain into and 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 uh, and generally do very well at. I don't know how I feel about it yet. The th- one of the things is, um, I think it's partly the the style of it, like the the look of certain of hexes, because there is a often a picture and just a number. Yeah, and, and, and you have to get it's a bit too abstract, and I keep having to constantly click on these things to go, okay, what is this? What and it exactly tells you, it well, do? of course, this is a biological plant spore, and, you and know, I go, okay, <laughs> uh, or you know, it's one of those bonus hexes that you. You click in and it attaches to other characters and it heals them or it makes them faster or slower. Yeah, it's a very curious theme because you are essentially airdropping units into an arena. Yes. Um, and then, yes. Uh, and then, of course, that's weird because suddenly you've a mutant has appeared next to your friend's base. How did that happen? And now he's sat still there for the whole game. Attacking every turn. Almost like founding terrorist cells or something. But it's abstract and it's... My only experiences of it has been being beaten up by Mike, uh, which is an ideal <laughs> uh, circumstance. Although it does speak well for the game that he can do so well, and it's kind of an in- engaging puzzle. But yeah, it's abstract. It's abstract. And you know what? I might have a problem playing abstract games. That's what it made me think. If things are a bit too abstract, that might be a disconnect for me. You should try Tashkalar by our own Vlado Shvatil, because that isn't... I was so surprised when I found out he was making a similar game where you place... Like go, you know, you place things on the board, but then you're trying to form certain shapes that become things that attack your opponent's shapes, and mm. it's wonderful. And I didn't think I had any time for you know abstract games like where you put a coloured bead on a thing and Ingenious. get and get a texadobble, and the texadobble <laughs> reverses your opponent's points. And I, I got no time for that. I need a story. Um, but uh, but Neuroshima Hacks, I guess, is weird for me then because it's an abstract game that is also heavily thematic. It's clearly sci-fi in some well, it's, way. It's, no, it's that really... It's Mad Maxi post-apocalypse, really kind of teenager's bedroom story. And then and then the game itself is this very highbrow thing. So who's it for? I don't know. Uh, and maybe the possibly the random element of it was too much for me. That each, ter- each turn you get three of these hexes and you can pop two of them down. Um, and some turns I was just getting like three movement... Some of the hexes are units, some of them are instructions, and sometimes, I've, sometimes I'm just getting like three movement. Yeah, Mike was sort. telling me that in high-level tournaments, um, you know, because, of, like, for example, if you're playing against a certain faction, you know that they have that one super powerful hex and it hasn't shown up yet, so when they're down to, like, two hexes, you know which two hexes they've got ah. left. And when he tells me that, I just basically tell him, uh, go away, because <laughs> ah. I don't want to have to memorize... I mean, I'm, I'm sure it'll happen naturally. I'm sure if yes, I played Netrunner against someone, I know maybe a card that hasn't shown up yet. So actually, probably that's not so crazy. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to talk in, to you about. Uh, in conclusion, we're neutral. In right conclusion, now. we're neutral. I want to show you an iPad game that is that is good. Yes. And we're and then so we're going to go away from the podcast, and then we're going to come back, and you're going to tell me what you think. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry you lost timeline, Paul. Only because the Louvre. <laughs> 
Only because Louvre occurred. The pyramid in the Louvre is stupid. What did you thought it was the 60s? And it I was thought the, because so, it's... it's you wouldn't it. make something like that in the 80s unless... You were, an you were stupid. <laughs> so everybody, timeline is my for my money the best iPad board game. It's just so good and so fun, and I've actually played it lots, which I haven't done with any of the other ah, iPad games I've got um, or tablet games. In fact, timeline is a card game originally by uh, Asmodee that's yes. just lovely. You st- you get a deck of inventions that are all all have a different date on the back. And you start off with one card in the middle, and everyone has five cards. The object is to get rid of your cards. So, for example, the card in the middle might be the crossbow, listed date of minus 400 BC. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out whether your card... You pick a card from your hand, like maybe you want to get rid of the mini skirt, and uh, put that <laughs> after the crossbow. Because you, you think it's probably Because you think it was invented, and then you check, and it's correct. And then, so gradually, what I love about it is as the game goes on, the timeline you've got gets bigger. Yeah, na- but narrower as well. Yeah, so you spaces. have to figure out whether human dissection was the 19th or 18th. And if you're wrong, you throw that card away and draw a new card. First place yes. to get rid of all their cards wins. And it's so simple, but so educational, but so fun. But quite neat. Yeah, and it's great on the iPad because it's just you pop it out and players play with it and yeah. uh, and they look at it and go, oh, that's clever. And, and that you learn something. And I enjoyed that. And you learned that the... Uh, and I taught you about uh, the colonization of Africa, which you didn't know about. Yes. Because yeah, it was all was really interesting. It was all carved up in about 40 years um, because the invention of the steamboat and uh, uh, penicillin enabled them to explore the continent, which they weren't able to do. It was just the dark continent before that. Wow. And then as soon as, um, as, soon as you could, all of Europe went, quick, get it! <laughs> and were horrible. Yeah, um, but, and I, I, I correctly guessed that people were dissected actually ages ago. Uh, quite, yeah, I'm quite pleased which that was I know like, about dissection. What was that, 1400? 1312? 1312. 1200s. Well done. Still lost though, didn't you? But only by one. Only, only, by, by, that was only by a fraction went of the move pyramid. To the awesome, <laughs> it went to the awesome tiebreaker where if two players get rid of their last card in the same round, mm. then you each get one more. It was like a playing penalty shootout. It was a penalty shootout. Across time. It was like Doctor Who playing football. Across time and space. But better written than so, Doctor Who. So there you go. By timeline, everybody, not Doctor Which Who. Which isn't hard. What else have you been playing? That's it. We've finished the list. Me? I haven't oh. played anything else. Really? Let's go to the shut up and sit down, sweat lodge, and answer some questions. I feel sad now. And now the shut up and sit down sweat lodge. I don't know why we do this. I don't know why we come into this sweat lodge. It's really it's hot. It's so well, I, warm. I built it, so we might as well use it. Otherwise, it's a waste. But the, the time it takes to get changed my and knee, put on the... My knees are sweating. I didn't think that was possible. It is. Well, a lot of the sweat's running down from your thighs. Gee, oh, that's because it. Because no, you're it. not wearing the, the thing that I'm wearing. We should put on the special sweat lodge. Yeah, but I, mine doesn't fit. Uh, anyway, so... Sweat protector tight uniforms. We asked Twitter and Facebook... Along with our caps. We are at Shut Up Show on Twitter. Uh, skin and tight. Forward slash Shut Up Show on Facebook? Yes. So, yeah, yes. we asked a question. What is your New Year's board gaming resolution? And, oh my God, you're all really depressing. Everybody said the same thing, which is to buy fewer games and to play the games I already have. <coughs> yes. Um, which is sad. Uh, God, I'll just... Hang on, I won't... I'll, okay, there's a good one. Here we go. Yeah, there's one here from 7-5 Games uh, that says um, they want to do the opposite. They say mm. they want to release yeah. four games in 2014. That's nice. Minimum. I don't think it is. No. I'm going to go on a, on a rant here. Well, no, not really. It's just that <laughs> all the games that we like are such creatures of, of wonderful, of, of, of years of, of investment well, this and is refinement. It. It's an idea you have that rolls around in your head gathering moss for like that. Wait, that for, doesn't Well, 
Yeah, but my analogy that. doesn't work. But yeah, I know you, you get my point. But then, you know, you release it and you refine it. And there's that final 10% of game design, which is the hardest 10% of your ideas there, but it doesn't quite work. Yes. And that's what separates enthusiasts yeah. from masters. So don't try and release four games in a year unless they're tiny ones. I mean, do, <laughs> even if they are tiny ones, like look at the success of Coin Age, a, a, a wonderful game that literally fits on a business card yes. and the change in your pocket that, that is tiny and yet clearly has been thought of and tested for so long and the Kickstarter's doing really well, incident. Kicks, yeah, Kickstarter did extraordinarily well. Quality over quantity. Come on, guys. Well, I don't know. It's, it's ambitious. I mean, yeah, releasing a game in a year, I think, is, is tough. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe these guys are just like smarter than us. Maybe though. they just have four ideas that are all percolating. Uh, like we are in the sweat lodge. Jules the Gamer, uh, at Jules, in ga- Jules underscore in-game, says, uh, has my favourite... Uh, resolution though they want to avoid all skip a turn mechanics as god is my witness I'll never ah. skip a turn again hell yes Jules that's that's, that's interesting that's I what I'm like that. about I am about not skipping turns because why this yeah. is the least fun yes, yes. it is the least fun concept exactly. and we're looking at you Talisman for and Relic for being like the only <sighs> game still living that continue to think this is a good but idea people keep buying them people keep buying Talisman and Relic which is why they keep making new editions that are really just slightly different board art and still the same endless trudge through purgatory <laughs> with many circles and you can buy more circles for the board it's like Dante's Inferno but expandable I can't mm. but the thing is with my love of expansions I do quite like the idea of making oh. the board 300% of the time anyway um, even Descent 2nd Edition no longer has heroes that die you fall over and other heroes can pull you back <laughs> up you know come on uh, Jules and me we're going to be friends and we're going to play games that are good um, you can't come in the sweat lodge no why don't you throw Just something out us. from Facebook uh, well I uh, John Coyne said his ambition is to play Twilight Imperium 8 player which is Quite oh. a, it's actually really Ooh, an ambition. It, that's a pretty cool one because that's done it actually six? a proper. Re- We've done it. I've I've played it six. I think yeah. And it was all day. It's an all day thing at that point, especially if you have the negotiation and everything. I mean, eight players. You need the expansions to do and. Twilight Imperium, everybody, is just a big space opera game that we've yes. reviewed and we love. It is the definitive stupid game. Um, <laughs> it is like, it has politics and assassinations and global space combat and warfare, and colonization, and flagships, and Death Stars, economies, mines, and arguments, uh, planets, which are just swamps. They have space. Every planet in the game, and you won't play with all of them in any one game, you get a card would come with mm. it that shows you own it but it's not just that these cars show the resources and political influence of the planet they also have a little description which tells a yeah. story as you find out that your corner of the galaxy it's like oh I've got a garbage world <laughs> and also a world that is a toxic swamp this world has fancy berries but it's poisonous <laughs> like it, it's, it's, it's nice and then you just fill it full of troops you fill it with soldiers who yeah. are presumably waist deep in like cranberries <laughs> Just sort of shooting Marching each other. Around. Yeah. Uh, but eight players, though, that's just... Rid- I would it's love... Big and, it's good and it's big and slow. But yeah, eight players would be cool, but is is a project. You know, weirdly, I don't think an eight-player game with Twilight Imperium... I think the problem wouldn't be the game. It would actually be the people. Yeah. At that point, the game isn't yeah. going to break. But Lord knows I would want to do that with people I like. Yes. If so much as two people or three or even four out of that group get bored or are dicks... And I it's would... very probably going to be doing it, I think, for two days. It's Which is weekend. fine. And, but that, at least if you know you have a lot of time, the worst would be starting an eight-player game at like 6 p.m. and going, okay, guys, let's go, let's go. We've got to finish this. You want to start on the Saturday midday and yeah. know that actually you can all come back the following Sunday. 
and have food sorted for the evening yeah. and everything. Because yes. you don't want to be like, if two players are having a really tense negotiation or someone's role-playing, you don't want to be like, that's nice, but can we move on? I've got yeah. I've got an economy. I've got, I want to play an industry card. It's like, no. Yeah. Um, but no, that would be, that could be really fun if you... See, an eight-player game also, I'd want to see alliances, <laughs> but then TI has the thing where alliances can't win, you know? Only one player can Unlike win. Unlike Rex. Unlike Rex. I wonder... In the second expansion, there is a scenario that allows team victories. Um, I don't know if it goes up to eight players, but if it does, I would definitely... I don't think it does, actually. Or would you try and house rule it? Would you say, actually, guys, this is okay, we can do this? Yeah, actually. I would strongly consider house ruling a game of TI to allow alliances in an eight-player game. Alliances, people I, next to each other or opposite each other, or who knows? I don't know. Maybe alliances let them form naturally. Carving but, uh, up the galaxy like... Cheese. Yeah. Um, or ham. Lots of tweets here. People want to play more board games. More Please. board games. Want to play board games with their wife. Um, wife. Son. Uh, wife. Wife. No, wait. I had some good ones on here. Is that it? <laughs> Hang on. But throw something out from Facebook while I continue scrolling. Uh, well, speaking of families, uh, James Cobbett said he would like to grind his family down. Mm. Uh, he'd like to, well, he'd like to get them more into board games, but he said he's been grinding them down with Pandemic, which sounds unhealthy. Don't grind your family down and then he said Carcassonne grabbed his wife oh okay can we just take a moment that's not cool okay that's if 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 a if a game is is grabbing or in otherwise being inappropriate you know you gotta lay boundaries out um probably don't play with that game again well Carcassonne um, French game from sort of French countryside it's always the French it's games, gonna be it? a French countryside game. yeah it's I not mean, like a sophisticated Parisian thing it's, you, a, you it's did, a bumpkin game you did bring this on yourself dude um, but, but yeah at this goodness. point we should probably stop because we don't know your situation and we don't want to um, no make judgments uh, tweet from someone called Casa saying they want to never play uh, Cards Against Humanity again that's at Casa 61 thanks Casa we agree a uh, few people have been saying that and a few there's definitely a Cards said, Against Humanity backlash whereby it became the, like it became this big popular game and it's funny and now the people who bought it because it was funny are showing it to people and those people are going hang on Mm. you know what can we can we briefly sort of take a sideways thing into this because this has happened now with a few people that we know have said sort of they've played it or they've played it with sort of their own limits where they they won't say certain things and i've seen people play and have fun and do funny things partly because they've taken whole cards out of the deck and just refuse to do certain things. Yeah, it's um, it's I, the the one thing I've heard is that um, a lot of people tend to play it wrong, whereby the the way it, it, it tends to be played is people generally vote or instinctively the group says, "Well, that card's the winner," which tends to lead towards the most ridiculous or most offensive thing being the winner, yeah. as if that was the goal. When actually, it's meant to be this thing of the player whose turn it is looks at all the entries and say, "I think that one is funniest." You know, maybe it's a mm. maybe it's just a, a game where you can't let the consensus of oh it's an offensive game and let that cow your whole evening. It's like no, what you should do maybe is just um, uh, let it try and bring it down, try and make it funny. Yeah, yeah. maybe it. Do, would you, get, maybe, do you think it's savable in that way then? Maybe I know that people who play with the English set tend to have more fun because it's maybe it's I don't know made by an Englishman rather than the original base set, which is let's be offensive and obviously being offensive is fine if you know. I don't, I don't want to say, like, if nothing bad has happened in your life. But yeah, probably uh, if you've had a tough life for any reason. Or if you've had a life, there are things <laughs> that you probably aren't... Yeah, no, it's That fine. you're probably not really comfortable with. Um, 
so yeah, it's like it, the tagline of you know Apple's. We we probably ran uh, so many of our readers will switch off mentally when we complain about <laughs> Cards Against Humanity again. But so many people, the tagline of Cards Against Humanity, uh, Apples to Apples for terrible people. It's like no, isn't it kind of Apples to Apples for people who aren't very cool maybe I don't know yeah. there's cooler things to do than make jokes about like crass I don't even it makes me uncomfortable even wanting to say the stuff well we don't have to we don't have to uh, no we don't um, let's move well, on was that your app just popping that was me lozenging Twitter to try and give me more answers but I don't think there are any uh, so basically that's there's a new year what's your new year's resolution Paul board game related uh, I talked about this like a year ago but it never really happened and I would still like to actually oh shall I stop you there and we go into our game of the month okay <laughs> and now presenting the shut up and sit down game of the month of the podcast because every three weeks there's more than one in a month sometimes aren't there <laughs> we need it do you need a minute no I'm fine go <laughs> no I can't do it hello everybody I am elf blow whistle knife I am an elf ranger and this is my companion I'm Fulgore the uh flange <laughs> the black flange the black flat very good uh, our game of the month is Dungeons and Dragons from across the western sea because how could we have a, a uh, the flange from across the sea I think I've seen that movie um, <laughs> yeah so no, we, we how could we run a tabletop gaming site and not briefly cover Dungeons and Dragons our history with it uh, and generally our history of sort of nerdy role playing we have quite a long history with it too yeah, as it's well. t- and bought, lots of role playing I bought uh, Legend of the Five Rings which is a kind of Asian infused kind of pseudo problematic game which in, brings in Japanese mythology with Chinese mythology and Korean mythology and mixes it all together in a kind of uh, I don't want to say ignorant but like very casual with yes. history kind of interpretation fantasy interpretation very fantasy yeah. um and like actually playing the source books and the rule systems, I almost wanted to review it on Shut Up and Sit Down because we played it for like that was years ago. But we played it for we seven, it six months. A really good, fun campaign. Yeah, what campaign that you run? Yeah, it well, was your idea to run it. It was it really I, well. It, it did. Really it was really funny, and it was so interesting because L Five R encourages essentially less fighting and whole combat scenes that are about diplomacy, diplomacy, and, negotiation, and etiquette. Even. Yes, which is bizarre, and but which I, which was cool. And actually, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that when only one when the characters are like, I'm a wizard, another character as a fighter and the third is your diplomat an adventure that involves diplomacy or an adventure that involves fighting is definitely going to be geared towards one character one way or the other although I felt we didn't have that problem too much necessarily it was a it was a ball like for me as a GM ah. to uh, to do um, but no Dungeons and Dragons we have actually we both played it as kids didn't we this is probably yeah. something people don't know about us yeah. we didn't play it together as kids no uh, I probably started playing it when I was about 12 uh, which is probably when I started doing all tabletop role playing and it was D&D 2nd edition which as you mentioned earlier is is broken and ridiculous but it's had over the time that it was active it had so many cool extra things bolted onto it that it was full of neat stuff even if it was very clanky yes and if, if memory serves me people might I love this I'm going to give people a history lesson that might be inaccurate but I guess that's what history used to be before Wikipedia um, <laughs> so you can look this up and see if you're wrong if you see if I'm wrong but D&D actually uh, began its life as a game called Chainmail. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. good. I'm glad you can back me up if I get no, this wrong. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And this was a sort of battle game um, involving armies, but also you could uh, essentially pick a few people in your army and send them into the sort of like oubliette type thing of the <laughs> of the castle, and they would have to unlock the guillotine, unlock the gates to let the army in. And so you were mapping a 
dungeon. Yeah. Kind of, but I think even the word dungeon in that context is wrong. But you were mapping a basement, a castle basement, trying to get through and probably finding soldiers, and then it had kind of an in-depth combat system for killing those soldiers. Right? And then, yeah, and then, no, you're absolutely right, and they started to pop on fantasy elements like spells and fireballs and dragons, and uh, at some point, Gary Gygax and all his friends basically ended up in the game as characters as well. Like, there are loads of... Really? Uh, people who's like their, their name backwards is their characters and then there's and like persisted and then eventually this years. became blue box D that evolved into red box D. I think so yeah and then um, red box D became advanced dungeon I can't remember I, I, th- this, I think you're right it became advanced then second edition came out in the late 80s or early 90s uh, and then fast forward sort of like some five years and then Paul and I pick up these big heavy rule books and we take them home and yeah. with, before we'd even met each other we were playing games with this so I just I guess what, what does D&D mean for you Nah. Is it like this? Is, um, this is my background as a journalist coming in. That's the question you ask when you, if you have to sit down for an interview with someone important and you don't have anything prepared, you can usually give yourself a bit of breathing room by saying, "What's the heart of this? <laughs> what to you is the core?" Like if I was saying, "Paul, what's the core of shut up and sit down?" It makes me sound smart. It gives Paul a lot to think about. The answer will probably be long, and, and then, then I, you can come up with all the other questions while I flounder. Yes, yeah, proper tactic. I've Try. done that. <laughs> uh, it's. I, it's not actually that much fighting. It's kind of two things, I guess. Uh, I know a lot of people like to do tabletop role-playing to hit bigger monsters with bigger numbers. I don't necessarily. I like improvisation, and I like kind of that aspect of it, and I've always liked that even as, like, a GM. Obviously, as a GM, you sit there and you plan the adventure and you create characters and you make maps and all this. I love that rolling dice can completely screw everything, and you're the GM and you're sat there and you think, oh, this might happen, this might happen. That's interesting. You it- have, you know, you don't want to funnel the players, but you have contingencies and something surprises you, and you, as the person in control of the game, yeah. doesn't know everything. Absolutely. And I think, actually, I had the opposite problem whereby I'm, I'm just a control freak. And so for me, when I was running Adventures as a kid, ah. as a games master, I said, oh, this is great. My friends are going to sit through what I realize now is like my movie. And then, and I would have to fudge all the dice rolls and, and kind of crowbar my, can we go, can we leave the dungeon? No, a door slams shut. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, so I was awful. So I think you were much more true to the, the open-ended, what, what makes the hobby the hobby? Whereas I was just mm, being... I, well, a- for, it's for different people. I mean, some people... The, D- the Dungeons and Dragons bit for some people is what they love the most and there are like old classic adventures that are just it's just a dungeon and you go in and each room is a puzzle or a monster and it just looks really boring to me to funnel <laughs> people down this corridor of big numbers and get them to roll dice and jump over things well this is the thing so now so you enjoy D&D for its freedom and what we saw in the noughties was D&D trying to claw back some of its market share by yeah taking on elements of uh, I don't know when the massively multiplayer online yes. influence came in but certainly D&D 3rd edition came out and it was like this big glossy source book with loads of cheesecake art really high resolution fancy art of just killing there's a man and outside ma- screaming he's probably a fan okay uh, just but yeah, ignore him okay he's not, he's not going away he's having a great time I wish I was that happy all the time <laughs> Um, yes. But, yes, but so just it was just about killing and leveling up, and wizard spells all became combat related. And fourth, fourth edition really was, but yeah, third edition kind of fixed some of the ruling consistencies. Oh, am I getting them by, confused by leveling things? Well, I, I don't know because there were things about were third edition, edition that were at a this bit point simpler. our own familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons. Starts but to you're right. Away. There's a uh, a guy called Greg Tito wrote a series of articles for the Escapist a while ago where he said exactly what you're saying, which is kind of. It became about cooldowns and much more about combat and damage values and uh, things like 4th edition has way fewer skills. It's got way less stuff like etiquette and diplomacy and 
much more about hitting things rather than mm. nego- when we were playing your L5R campaign there was so much negotiation in there and so much problem solving Yeah, and that's what I, when I really in my late teens when I met one of my friends called Andy who's a really good GM a lot of his adventures were about problem solving and not about just trying to kill stuff and you might have one magic weapon and one really powerful spell and it was it was about when you used them and when you sacrificed like that one cool thing yes. that you had which and is whether it made you or broke you and if it broke you the adventure carried on you were just kind of like, which we had you know we've had in a bunch of stuff we've played we've made terrible mistakes and adapted and that feels more interesting well to i guess yeah i story. think for me a lot of my um my campaigns about so much of geeky fiction is about the hero and success and so yeah. much when i gm and this is an advantage that D can do that nothing else in the hobby really covers is what happens when you fail yeah. What happens when you, you know, like if you roll to kill the assassinate the person and you miss, and then D and D extrapolates into everything. If you say the wrong thing, if you fail a combat scenario, you know, suddenly the story takes these turns, which are so much more human. Yeah. I'm sure people play D and D where they just kill all the monsters like it's a video game, but for you and me, I guess, I mean, for, that's such a. I mean, we could talk about a hundred different exciting aspects of D and D. I suppose yeah. it's just a toolkit. It's whatever you want it to be. Ideally, yes. Um, and that's the disappointing thing for me about when I played 4th edition is the only tools in that toolkit were pretty much combat tools mm. so now we've got an interesting split I suppose whereby what we've got is the the, the, the market, the scene D&D now has become this bizarre thing I was just telling you before we came on the podcast how the latest edition, this isn't the, the new edition they're working on now which supposedly will please everybody which is hilarious because obviously everyone wants a different thing from D&D <laughs> yes. but certainly nobody wants to buy the miniatures which is what they were pushing before but the GM in the previous edition could they, when you had a party which was all like a level oh, 7 yeah. and a level 8 and another level 8 you know that's like 60 points say so any encounter with the party for a normal difficulty should be a 60 point encounter and you build those encounters two wargs one of which has a magic tooth whatever yes. and that's you know that'll be easy and then you can gently push that up or down for a harder easy encounter at which point you're, you're really just playing say Descent and it avoids so much of the um, the fun stuff. It avoids the improvisation and problem. But, and it, but then I'd rather play Descent because Descent gives me all the fun toys immediately. Yeah. And it compresses into 40 hours rather than this thing that can fuel a thousand hours. Yeah. And Descent is, is really good for that. And yeah, I just, I, that sounds so artificial to me because in so many of the games that I've played that we've played, the challenge would be like, it, it would be one archer, but the archer is up in a tower. Mm. And if you got, rather than if you got like the, fireball spell if you've got the spell that lets you climb up walls you're fine because you just climb up in there and you punch him in the head because <laughs> it's not even a combat spell but it's your pro- it's your solution to that interesting problem yeah uh, whereas otherwise the problem is just the balancing numbers and that no absolutely and i played um fun. Uh, and less but, fun but uh before i get before i distract myself <laughs> um then so we've got D spiking off in this combat related video game related direction and then now we have the birth of all these amazing indie role playing games which are easy for us to cover on Shut Up and Sit Down because yes. they only take an evening things like Fiasco or Monster Hearts the mm. stuff we've been covering recently and you're going to see a lot more coverage of that in 2014 people so if you don't like it you know ignore it <laughs> um, but it's a great scene but it's story driven and it's small it's story driven and very different yeah and you know like just entirely at the other end of the spectrum and often tremendously adult um, sometimes sometimes yeah. uh, but also just so interesting If it is as fascinating as D&D is Joel like um, a Shut Up and Sit Down reader actually told us to look at Engine Hearts which is a game where you play essentially 
Wally style um, robots oh. in a post-apocalyptic environment. So you might be a, like a small robot that's a cleaning robot. I don't know this. And you, no, this is so yeah. But then it, you run a small campaign over maybe four sessions, and your robot can find essentially upgrade circuits that let them give himself a flamethrower but I just immediately my head went to oh my god how fun would that be to describe as a GM because you have to describe a world as a robot would see it like you see a six foot tall organic humanoid bearing a steel uh, implement might be a weapon and one of the robots can say I burn him okay you've burned him he's dead there is no life signs anymore just the idea of reducing humanity to something so pathetic or whatever it would seem like to a robot when the robot has a mission to I don't know collect the most glass because that's what they were meant to do before the fall you know that almost feels like uh, did you ever play Paranoia Uh, yeah it yes uh, Paranoia is is an amazing concept for a role playing game and I one of the few times I've like custom made my own role playing scenario I basically kind of cheated by copying a bunch of paranoia stuff it's set in some kind of a post-apocalyptic world where i think there's been a nuclear war with some communists somewhere the enemy never seems to be seen the enemy really is just fear what you have is a group of people who are all clones who have to go and do something uh i've never played this but you're all given a different objective right yeah you have you have you start off in a very bureaucratic sort of post-apocalyptic nightmare place where a computer gives you very strict orders everything in the world is very strict and must be followed very closely all your orders are very strict all the rules are very strict the problem being that whatever you try and do whenever you try and go somewhere or do something inevitably rules don't match up everyone is looking for traitors everyone is looking for uh, problematic people to be eliminated and obviously the the moment you get into a situation where you don't have the tools to solve it or you don't know what to do you actually become the problem so all the players sit around the table saying well you know, why can't you do the, the mission what's why don't you have who are you, why you this? <laughs> and th- so many things are color coded and if things are not a color that matches with you or your security clearance like you can't touch them and you can't deal with them <laughs> and i've been in games of paranoia where we've been in a vehicle where the button to stop the vehicle is a colour that we can't press. <laughs> so we're just going faster and faster and, you know, radioing back home saying, do we have permission to do this? <laughs> well, what's your situation? The situation's currently this. <laughs> okay, hold, please. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the, the party leader going, why can't, why are they not responding? Give me the radio. That's the wrong colour, you can't. Right. So it's, but then, so we're talking about how wonderful this scene is uh, in, in a, outside of D&D. Like, yeah. So, so while I want to discuss Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's just given birth to this all this stuff. Hmm. The scene is so huge, and I've actually said this to people. I, other friends of mine in video games who say, "Oh, it's good. You've got your board game thing going." I tell them, "You should really cover indie role playing games because they are the most fascinating thing in gaming that no one is covering right now, and there are so many of them. It's just the- it seems to be really easy for people to just sort of self publish something with an idea and get it. It is. Out it's just a PDF, which is which is the lowest barrier to entry ever for game yeah. design. But um, but I guess the other thing then we should dis- we should cover because I guess it's also an interesting point. Something that maybe we can finish talking about aside <laughs> from how wonderful the scene is. It's also got kind of in a sense the highest barrier for entry. Like I remember seeing Rob Davio's the creator of Risk Legacy, seeing him talk a couple months ago, yeah. he said that board games are the only format where you have to pass a written exam and then a like a, uh, a sort of uh, a speaking comprehensive in order to play them. Because ah. you have to read the rules and, and share yes. the rules with your friends. Yes. And if you scrub either of those two elements, you're not going to have a good time. Yes. Um, and then, but then role-playing games are just an order of magnitude more intimidating because someone has to run the game. And even on a simpler level, you're a character. You have to pretend to be that character. 
that is going to put people off. Do you think people should be uh, less scared of the hobby? I think they should. Uh, I think naturally it's going to appeal to some people more than others, and some people are going to be better at doing that than others. But given how much is out there, my stomach's rumbling really loudly. Which it's okay. Is weird. It's okay. We'll go get some uh, some fruit after this. It was the the sweat lodge. Huh. Um, you sweat out your dinner, <laughs> don't you? Uh, anyway, go on. Uh, yeah, it's there's so much out there to try and particularly if it's just a case of downloading a pdf of a thing that you found on the internet to have a try with a few friends you're comfortable with you don't really have much to lose no i suppose not i I always feel like you do though actually like if i sit down to play a game with people and we spend the whole like if i say come and play this and they come and they don't have that good of a time i feel awful yeah fair enough um so it's a weird one it maybe it is like a high effort. okay in which case no let's turn it around don't think that you don't have anything to lose but start with something easy yes um yeah. like start with something funny like um oh god what's the game there's a or start with something interesting even like um something that where it shouldn't be a certain thing like Dog Eat Dog is an example where you... Where you ugh. It's a game which doesn't even have to be funny or exciting because the, the concept is so fascinating. This is You're going to get a review of this so soon because it's just so overdue from Shut Up and Sit Down and we've got the rules. This is a game where... Um, essentially, first off, let's say five of you sat around the table. It's a game about a colonization of an island, South yeah. Pacific Island in the 17th century, like Archipelago. Um, but before the game starts, you go, okay, who's the richest player here? And you then, they play all of the invading forces, all of the colonized forces, mandatory, because you're not, you don't choose whether you're a colonizer or, mm. um, or colonized. And then everyone else plays people on the island. And, what, and it has all these absurd mechanics. Like you, you act out scenes, you, you invent what the local people are like broadly. But it's not meant to be funny. It's not meant to be exciting. It's just meant to be thought-provoking, really. Although I guess you could get whatever you want from it. So therefore, maybe it's a good point, because even better entry than Fiasco which is meant to be funny because even if it's not funny you'll have an interesting zen experience well, this, I'm immediately thinking now because you said it could be fun or it might not I, I think it's partly what people the, the people who come to the table and what they bring and whether they bring a serious demeanour or funny I suppose but both of which is quite valid but both if, is fine as long as all your friends are okay with being serious for a couple of hours yeah. you will have an interesting time with it mm. so that's actually okay there's no fail state, you know, unless someone gets too upset. But then it has all the just fun mechanics like um, essentially if there's a conflict in a scene, you, I think, roll a dice. And then you look at the dice and you can decide if you don't like it. If the villagers don't like it, they take a sort of disgruntlement token. And if they get too many of that, I'm getting this wrong. But if, they, but if they get too many of these tokens, they essentially go mad and destructive and then die. If the person who colonizes the island doesn't like a dice result, they can say so. With no penalties. So, like, let's say, um, okay, you know, uh, I'm trying to take your wife, for example, as a guard, as a, just a rifleman from Europe. And uh, you'll say, I punch him, we roll the dice, and you would succeed. I go, no, you don't succeed. And then there's nothing you can do about it. And I take your wife. And it's like, that is the kind of awful, fascinating me- dynamics that the game is meant to produce. You're just out there grinning like a cat. <laughs> because I'm imagining... Uh... It's not a, like uh, as bad as Cards Against Humanity, but I'm just imagining that as you know, some people around a table glowering, glowering, uh, yeah. feeling uh, maybe occasionally personally transgressed by things that might. Well, happen. that's a, a lot of these, as we've said. Not like that's necessarily a bad. No, thing, but if you're but... going to do this, then probably it's wise to just put. Usually, there's a you put a thing in the middle of the table like a red card, and if people are uncomfortable, they touch the red card, and mm. then you can rewind time to make sure everyone goes through the evening without losing their shit. Um, it's a good idea but then maybe if you like that then maybe your next pot of call can be grey ranks 
which is the most ma- everyone knows about Fiasco which is Billy Pulpit's game of a crime caper gone wrong that's yes. funny and so it's good it's blown funny up funny and was, petty it was on tabletop yes you're trying to quit your job <laughs> <laughs> um, but Grey Ranks does involve some role playing more role playing than um, uh, Doggy Dog but but oh my god it's even more messed up uh, so maybe that's your next stepping stone <laughs> I'm thinking about this out, I'm thinking this out loud I don't know why I'm recommending people play this but Grey Ranks is a game <laughs> where you all play Polish child soldiers during the Nazi occupation of Warsaw and um, as you, you have to figure out what you're fighting for and you have scenes where you know you and your 13 year old brother will decide whether you are going to try and deliver a message for the resistance um, but the horrible thing about it is there's a grid and the grid is related to, like, um, at one end there's, like, passion. Like, no, what, what do you value? So at one end is family. On another axis, it, sorry, no, an, I should say an axis. On the x-axis is, like, family and then friendship or, like, family or city. And then the y-axis where you're passionate or... Deter- like, and ultimately at one corner of any of these, whichever direction your character goes in is death. <laughs> like, either you're a martyr or you kill yourself or... So your, your character throughout the whole game is traveling towards their death, which is inevitable. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. There's a game you can play that's fun. How did I get onto this from Dungeons & Dragons? I don't know. sounds very I'm trying to make... It's sobering, yeah, but I'm just trying to make indie RPGs... Different. Well, no, be an evening where there is no fail state. You know? (laughs) Because if you play... (laughs) You all die, but you haven't failed. Yeah... No, no, it's... um... And it's... I would say it's less intimidating than playing Fiasco and be funny, go... All your friends are watching you. You have to pretend to be a housewife from California. That is, uh, yeah, arguably uh, intimidating for a lot of people. A lot of people, I imagine, would rather play D&D and roll dice to get high numbers to hit monsters yeah. than play Fiasco. And actually, I suppose, just to bring all this full circle, I would love to just hit monsters. You say you're not interested in it. I would actually really love to run a straight-up D&D campaign where I'm a ranger who, with a really, really good with a bow, and I level up and I get a new skill that lets me shoot an orc. <laughs> like that's fine for me. I would, I would, I'm jonesing to do that. I would love to do. Wouldn't you like to be a paladin or a thief in my campaign? Maybe. There's maybe. a there's a chest. There's a locked chest. Pull. Only you can open it. Roll your dice. Perfection. I open it. Okay. <laughs> it's open. Inside are some magic trousers. Okay. I I uh, look around and make sure no one is nearby and put them on my head. <laughs> <laughs> See how much fun we'd have. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess what, so what would D&D 5th edition have to do for you to to bring you back to the fold uh, well if it did it'd have to go back to like the 2nd or 3rd edition thing of having lots of modules lots of mo- lots more I'm stuff sure, like, of all the mistakes D&D has made lots of modules hasn't ever been a problem I, I mean um, I remember 2nd edition having things like massive spell encyclopedias that gradually came out over the years and because okay, the knowing, spells weren't just combat spells they let you do all kinds of new yeah, things yeah but knowing you know your own situation are you going to drop £70 on four different spell compendiums uh, I wouldn't mind if an edition came out and over time my bookshelf grew that's okay with well me. I've been looking at L5R source books which they've been releasing and ah. actually now i could massively expand my game and so maybe do you feel that way somewhat yeah well i feel like certainly if they release more source books i could be coaxed back into playing l5r but Ooh. 
the question of whether I'd rather play L5R or D&D at this point, I'd probably like to, like, you know, I'd like to play some hard sci-fi or feudal Japan or contemporary. That was, contemporary. There's, a, there's a sci-fi setting which just came out recently, I forget the name of it, where you play essentially Japanese sort of CIA type people in Tokyo who are, who hunt ghosts in modern day, well, not modern day, but alternate reality J- Japan. Like, these are, these are settings all intrinsically, I guess, more interesting to me than D&D. Fair enough. Um, so I don't think D&D 5th edition could bring me back. Fair enough. That's okay. I mean, the, the, the really cool thing about the role-playing scene and about all the indie stuff you mentioned is it does feel like a library where there's books for pretty much anyone to try anything they might like. I suppose. So I guess I kind of wanted to talk about D&D in the sense that I thought this would be like a love letter from you and me because we both play it. But I guess we're... Well, it kicked us off. I mean, it keeps us off, and I guess and that's that, important. But I mean, I guess that's what it is. We we thought we would be talking happily about D and D, but actually, it just kicked us off to talk about more exciting stuff, which is what D and D did. It kicked off the role playing scene to be this fascinating thing today. But actually, maybe it's just irrelevant. That's sad. Well, you, I might just crack out an old version of it, like third edition oh or something. Oh god! But you know, some of that stuff works. It still. works. That's your. That's your sort of. That's how you lead to defense of D and D. Actually, it I works. Know. I don't know. This is why uh, I, I keep thinking this year that I might try and design one. I won't finish designing one. I'll make one that, like, I could release that might be any good. But it's more the process of going through trying to make one and seeing what the challenges are of making a role okay. game. I would fans, find interesting. Fans, if you are interested in reading oh, no. Paul's design diary oh, no. on developing his role playing world or universe and he could do it in a sequence of articles let us know in the comments and if paul wants to we could all help him uh finish his new year's resolution it could it could be very interesting and i imagine there's going to be speed bumps and uh i can just imagine myself rambling on for ages about like why i don't like combat mechanics the way they are and how do i fix that i think that could be really interesting maybe we'll see i I will give it a shot and see what happens (sighs) should we wind down the pro the podcast uh okay how do, do we do that? Well, we say uh, if you have enjoyed listening to Shut Up and Sit Down the podcast, do give us a nice review on iTunes or your oh, iDevice yeah. because it absolutely makes all Please the do. difference Please in do. the world. Please uh, do. Vote us on Reddit and, and click on buttons that have stars and arrows. And, and I guess and... since we've just come back from donations, yeah, thanks again to everybody who subscribed to the Gold Club. Yes. Uh, we're going to be sending out the Gold Club bags to two and a half thousand of you. Uh, Which is wow. Just I can't believe it. Over the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah. And then we're going to be starting our second donation season with with new reward tiers and all kinds of things so yes um, if you did miss your chance to subscribe don't worry because you'll have a new gold club bag that you can pay for in uh, in just a couple of in weeks season two and we'll do it different we'll yeah. do it slightly different and you'll side. be able to so. help keep shut up and sit down on its feet keep developing adding new features to the site for you guys yes so. thank you very much for that and generally just for your comments and responses and how pleasant and friendly and welcoming everyone has been which is a thing we keep we Being kept, really impressed by. We keep saying thank you, but frankly, it, it, we, we couldn't say thank you enough. Yeah, because there are not places on the internet where this happens very often. No. If I feed you again, are you just going to exfoliate? You know, is it going to yes. be exhumed through your body? Yes. Well, so what are we? What am I going to? That's what we played. We played guts. Guts of glory. Of glory. Ah, oh, <laughs> but the podcast is over. We'll have to talk we'll about talk that about next it next time. Ah, oh, the stories. Ah, oh, sorry, Zach and Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.